Good morning, church family. I pray that you are all well, for it is wonderful to see so many of you here again today in the midst of such a special time of the year, that being the Christmas season. And it is for that reason that we will be taking a break from the Gospel of Mark next week on Christmas Eve and on December 26, as Ricardo and I will be preaching through Luke's account of the Christmas story. However, as for today, we are going to remain in the Gospel of Mark, and we'll be looking specifically at chapter 3, verses 1 through 6, or at the final of the five controversies between Jesus Christ and that of the Pharisees. Meaning today is the day, church, where it is all about to go down. And I say that because Jesus Christ, he has taken his stand, he has made his statement, and he has declared himself to be the Son of Man and the Lord of the Sabbath. And the Pharisees now, church, well, they have to figure out what exactly they are going to do with that information. And we've gotten to this point, church, not simply out of the blue. But instead, as we have seen over the past couple of weeks, there's been quite a bit of controversy between Jesus Christ and that of the Pharisees. And it all began, church, if you can remember, all the way back to the beginning of chapter 2, when Jesus Christ declared, after healing a man with paralysis in verse 5, that, son, your sins are forgiven. Because right after that, these aforementioned Pharisees, well, they instantly began thinking amongst themselves, as verse 7 puts it, for why does this man Jesus speak like that? For he is blaspheming. For who can forgive sins but God alone? And then following this account of Jesus healing the paralytic, Jesus Christ then was confronted by the scribes of the Pharisees in verse 16, but this time it was for eating and associating with and calling to himself sinners and tax collectors, something that these self-righteous, egotistical, and haughty Pharisees would never, ever do. And then as Ricardo touched on two weeks ago, Jesus Christ was again confronted by a group of people in verse 18, a group that very likely included that of the Pharisees because Jesus' disciples were not fasting like the Pharisees or even like John's disciples. However, the confrontations, the controversies, and the drama church Well, it all came to a head last week when Jesus Christ, after being confronted by the Pharisees because his disciples were not keeping their man-made legalistic laws and traditions concerning the Sabbath, he, Jesus Christ, said to them in verse 28 that he was the Son of Man and that he was the Lord of the Sabbath. In essence, saying that he, Jesus Christ, was the one who ultimately got to determine what was lawful and right and permissible on the Sabbath and not 
that of the Pharisees. And thus, the Pharisees, church, they now have a decision to make. For do they now submit to Jesus Christ as the Son of Man, as the Lord of the Sabbath, and as one who is ultimately divine? Or do they reject Jesus Christ here and to continue to see themselves as the one who possess the authority to determine the proper interpretation and application of God's law? For that is the question, church, that is hanging in the balance over the text this morning. Which takes us now to our thesis statement this morning or to the main theme of our sermon this morning, which is this. Christian, there is never a bad time to do good to others. However, be prepared, because evildoers always hate the light. Christian, there is never a bad time to do good to others. However, be prepared, because evildoers always hate hate the light. That's at this time, church, let's open our Bibles up to Mark chapter 3, as this morning we will be looking at verses 1 through 6. And if you are joining us today and do not own a Bible, then please feel free to grab and to keep one of our church Bibles, which are located in the chairs in front of you, as our gift to you this morning. Additionally, also, please feel free to open your new Bible up at this time to page 837 and join us as a church family as we hear the Word of God together this morning. So again, we are in the Gospel of Mark this morning, looking specifically at chapter 3, verses 1 through 6, where John Mark, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes, Again he entered the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand, and they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath, so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, come here. And he said to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? But they were silent, and he looked around at them with anger grieved at their hardness of heart, and said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was restored. The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him, how to destroy him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we praise you this morning, and we thank you for your grace, for your mercy, and for your Son, Jesus Christ, and his atoning work on the cross. We thank you that you have sent your Son, Jesus Christ, into the world as the light of the world, so that we might be saved through him. Father, I pray that you help the dear ones here this morning, your children, to see the beauty, the power, the humility, the trust that is exemplified within your text this morning. Father, I pray for help this morning as I communicate your perfect, infallible, sufficient, and inerrant word to them as well. 
Lord, help my lisping and my stammering tongue to be able to rely on you and your spirit. Thus, Father, I plead with you, send your spirit. Help me this morning to be able to communicate the truths of your word so that you and you alone be glorified. And so that your children this morning, the dear ones here at Faith Bible Fellowship in Bible Fellowship Church, be built up in the unity of the faith together. Do this wonderful work this morning, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Our first of two points this morning, church, is this. Point number one, a hard and unregenerate heart cannot love what is truly good. A hard and unregenerate heart cannot love what is truly good. Verses 1 through 4. Again, he entered the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand, and they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath, so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, come here. And he said to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? But they were silent. So verse 1 opens by noting that he, Jesus Christ, once again entered the synagogue. Which means, church, it's again another Sabbath day, i.e. the day that the Jews would set aside to be made holy to the Lord. And thus Jesus Christ, he goes to the synagogue on this day, and there at the synagogue, verse 1, was a man with a withered hand, or a man with a deformed hand, as the New Living Translation puts it, or a shriveled hand, as the NIV puts it, or a paralyzed hand, as the Holman Bible puts it. And not only that, but also in attendance at the synagogue on this day was none other than that of the Pharisees. And very similar to last week, church, we see the Pharisees again here watching Jesus Christ very, very closely. However, this time they are watching in order to see if he heals this man with a withered hand so that they, verse 2, might be able to accuse him, indicating, as Eckerd Schnebel puts it, that the Pharisees' attitude toward Jesus Christ has changed. Because now the Pharisees seem to be watching Jesus Christ, not out of curiosity or interest, but instead in order to collect the evidence needed of Jesus Christ breaking the Sabbath law so that they could ultimately be able to accuse him. Signaling to the readers here that the Pharisees have made up their minds concerning this man named Jesus Christ, and that they are sick of his popularity, tired of his miracles, done with his claims, and completely fed up with him, threatening their power, their position, and their authority over the current status quo. And thus they, the Pharisees, are absolutely not going to submit to this man named Jesus Christ, but instead are going to watch this man in order to find fault in this man so that they can accuse this man and ultimately take this man named Jesus Christ out. And it is for that reason 
the Pharisees here, want to see if Jesus Christ really will heal this man with a withered hand on the Sabbath. Because in their mind, that constituted as work and was punishable by none other than that of death. However, what we must keep in mind here, church, is that although Jesus Christ is truly man, he is also truly God. Therefore, he was not ignorant, nor oblivious, nor unaware of what these evil and prideful and antagonistic Pharisees were up to. In fact, as Luke chapter 6 puts it, Jesus Christ, he knew their thoughts. Meaning, church, that Jesus Christ, in essence here, he had a decision to make. That decision being that he could just wait until the sun goes down or until the Sabbath was over and just heal this man with a withered hand then, thereby not breaking any of the Pharisees' man-made Sabbath laws and not giving to them any of the evidence they desired in order to accuse him of any Sabbath wrongdoing. Or... Jesus Christ, he could just instantly do the will and the work of his Father and heal this man right here on the spot, on the Sabbath, in front of everyone. Which is obviously, church, exactly what Jesus Christ did. By initially saying to the man with the withered hand in verse 3, to come here. And Jesus Christ, by no means, is softly whispering to the man here, or attempting to hide this interaction from the Pharisees here, or trying to secretly, or privately, or covertly heal this man here. And I say that because as soon as Jesus Christ called this man over to himself, Jesus then seemingly turned to the antagonistic Pharisees and in verse 4, and quite profoundly asked them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? And the crux of this question, church, or the essence, the gist, and the overall heart of this question, as J.C. Ryle alludes to, is, for is it better to do good to this man with a withered hand on the Sabbath, and to heal this man on the Sabbath, and to take this man's pain away on the Sabbath, or is it better to simply ignore this man on the Sabbath, reject this man on the Sabbath, and to allow this man to continue to suffer on the Sabbath. For that church is the overall essence of the question that Jesus Christ asked the Pharisees here. And the Pharisees who had placed their law and their rules and their man-made traditions above and beyond the overall well-being of man they simply then were unable to answer that question. And thus, as it says in verse 4, were silent. Therefore, clearly displaying, as Mark Strauss writes, that they were more concerned about the minutia of the law rather than its benefit for man. And thus have, and thus have clearly missed the heart of God here, who gave the law for mankind's good. Now I realize that it is easy for us, church, to read this and to get frustrated 
and annoyed and angered by the Pharisees and to think to ourselves like, come on, like how prideful and hard-headed and hard-hearted do you have to be to not be able to say here that it is lawful or better to do good on the Sabbath rather than to do harm. And yet as we consider our own lives for a second church, how often do we find ourselves in a position to be able to do good to someone, and yet we don't because the time of the day isn't right, or because the location isn't ideal, or because so-and-so looks a certain way, talks a certain way, acts a certain way, and really doesn't meet all of our overall expectations, to the point we say to ourselves that, yes, I know that it's better for me to do good here, but I'd rather not because the time, place, person, or situation doesn't exactly meet my man-made standards, laws, or preferences, which is such a dangerous state of mind to be in church. Robert Hall, in his book, An Introduction to Healthcare Organizational Ethics, wrote about a man by the name of Christopher Searcy who was playing basketball with his friends one day when suddenly, out of nowhere, he was shot. Now his friends did everything they could in helping and dragging him to a nearby hospital. In fact, they were able to get him all the way within 40 feet of the hospital entrance when one of his friends frantically ran inside in order to ask for further help. However, the hospital staff refused to help Christopher because it was against the hospital's policy to administer any kind of aid to anyone outside of the hospital's walls. Now eventually, church, a policeman did go out and was able to get Christopher into a wheelchair and wheel him into the hospital where the hospital staff was able to care for him. However, by that time, it was too late as Christopher died only a few hours later. Therefore, brother Christian, sister Christian, if you are sitting there this morning thinking that it is somehow okay for you today, tomorrow, or any day of the week to withhold good from someone simply because the time, place, person, or situation doesn't exactly meet your man-made standards or preferences, then you are letting your devotion, Christian, to your standards and your preferences get in the way of doing what you have been called to do, that being to do good to everyone, to not withhold good from anyone, and to ultimately love your neighbor as yourself, no matter the time, place, person, or situation. And thus, let us all, right here, right now, church, evaluate our hearts this morning to see if we are buying into this lie that it is somehow okay for us to refrain from doing good to someone simply because the situation might infringe upon our man-made, made-up rules, laws, or preferences. Because if the way of your life, church, 
church or the consistent pattern of your life is to put your preferences above and beyond the overall well-being of man, well, then that is to prove that you still have a heart of stone, remain dead in your sins, and that you are still following after the course of this world and not that of Jesus Christ. Because anyone who does not love, who withholds love, and who is too prideful to look past their own preferences in order to consistently love their neighbor as themselves, they quite clearly then do not know God, church. And I can say that unequivocally and without wavering because our God, church, he is love. Which brings us to point number two, which is this. Evildoers will always seek to destroy the light. Evildoers will always seek to destroy the light. Verses 5 and 6. And he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart, and said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was restored. The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him. How? To destroy him. So Jesus Christ, after hearing nothing but silence from the Pharisees in verse 4, he looks around at them in verse 5 with anger or with righteous indignation. And thus you can just feel here, church, the tension between Jesus Christ and that of the Pharisees just dripping from the pages of this text. Because not only have the Pharisees made clear that they are done with this man named Jesus Christ, but additionally, Jesus Christ is also here making it clear that he's not a fan of their way of life as well, to the point that he, Jesus Christ, is not only righteously angered by it, but also also, verse 5, grieved by their hardness of heart. Nevertheless, even in light of all this tension, Jesus Christ, he still willingly and fearlessly and unapologetically says to the man with the withered hand in verse 5, stretch out your hand. And just like that, the man with the withered hand, he was able to stretch it out. And as verse 5 makes clear, his hand was restored, meaning it was instantly and completely healed. And here, church, is all you need to know about these hard-hearted Pharisees. Because as soon as this healing takes place, the Pharisees here, they were not happy for this man. Nor did they rejoice with this man, nor did they praise God here that this man will never, ever, ever have to suffer again from this withered hand. But instead, as we see in verse 6, the Pharisees, they left the synagogue and immediately held counsel with the Herodians. Now, this is the first time in the Gospel of Mark that we have seen the name of this group called the Herodians. And as their name indicates, church, they were a group of people who likely supported King Herod at the time in the Herodian dynasty, and overall would have likely also supported the Roman Empire and that of Roman law as well. 
meaning. And here is your big takeaway from all of this church. The Pharisees and the Herodians, they were not friends. In fact, the language that is used to describe their relationship by different commentators was that the Pharisees and the Herodians hated one another, were antagonistic toward each other, and therefore wanted absolutely nothing to do with each other. Nevertheless, church, the one thing that they did have in common was that they hated Jesus Christ way more than they hated one another. Therefore, despite their feelings of animosity and hatred and disdain toward each other, they were still willing to put their differences aside and come together in order to try to figure out how, verse 6, to destroy Jesus Christ meaning they were not content, church, to simply find a way to reduce Jesus' influence or curb his popularity or even get Jesus to move on to another town. But instead, it was now their goal to get rid of Jesus Christ, to destroy Jesus Christ, and to ultimately kill Jesus Christ no matter the cost. And this, unfortunately, should not come as a surprise to us, church, Because the scriptures clearly teach us that the wicked, they hate the light, John chapter 3. And thus, nor should it surprise us either, church, that even as we try to do good to others, even in the here and now, and serve those who are in need, and give food to the hungry, water to the thirsty, and clothes to the needy, that if we do not do it in the way that the world wants it to be done, using the language that the world wants us to use, all while supporting the agendas, the standards, and the worldviews that the world wants us to support that we might too be hated by the world simply for doing good to others as well. Because a servant church will never be greater than their master. And if the world hated and persecuted and even killed Jesus Christ all while he did good to everyone, then make no mistake, for the world will also have no problem then, Christian, hating and persecuting and even trying to kill you for any good you do in Jesus' most holy name. Because although the darkness, church, is unreasonable and rational and illogical and makes absolutely no sense. The one thing we do know about the darkness church is that the darkness absolutely hates the light. Nevertheless, as we begin to close this morning, let us remind us all, the light It shines in the darkness, church, and the darkness, it will never, ever, ever overcome the light. And thus, to the non-Christian who is here this morning, please know that in order to crush and to defeat and to destroy this darkness once and for all, God the Father, he sent his Son, Jesus Christ, the light of the world, into the world in order to rescue his children from the darkness and to save them from their very sins. And he, Jesus Christ, did this non-Christian by coming into this world as truly God and as truly man and by living for sinners the life that they could never live. 
meaning that although Jesus Christ came into this world to live and to dwell amongst his sinful people, he, Jesus Christ, never, ever sinned. But instead, he lived a perfect and sinless and flawless life here on earth, thereby perfectly and completely fulfilling the law of God, non-Christian, for the children of God. However, non-Christian Jesus Christ, he did not stop there. Because not only did he live for sinners the life that they could not live, but he also then paid the debt for sinners that they could not pay. In that he, Jesus Christ, took our sins upon himself, non-Christian, and willingly bore the punishment for our sins by being crucified and crushed and killed on a cross at Calvary in our place and as our substitute, as the atoning sacrifice for our very sins. And in doing so, non-Christian, the sinless Son of God, Jesus Christ, he fully appeased the wrath of a holy God toward his sinful children. And thus, because of that, non-Christian, three days later, Jesus Christ, he did not stay dead, but instead he rose from the dead and he defeated sin and destroyed eternal death once and for all and now offers eternal life, non-Christian, to all who place their trust in him. Thus, let today be the day, non-Christian, that you turn from your sin. Let today be the day that you repent of your sin and you place your trust in Jesus Christ and in Christ alone as the only one who can forgive you of your sin, as the only one who paid the price for your sin, who died for your sin, and can clothe you then, non-Christian, in his perfect life and reconcile you back to God forever. Therefore, take heart this morning, non-Christian, that no matter what sins you've committed in your past, or no matter how depraved or vile or unforgivable that you think you are, the darkness, it cannot defeat the light. Therefore, let today be the day, non-Christian, that you turn from the darkness, repent of your sins, and place your faith in Jesus Christ, and he will be faithful, non-Christian, to forgive you of your sins and to give you the gift of eternal life. And to the Christian who is here today, brother Christian, sister Christian, now whether you realized it or not, I kind of left you this morning with a major dilemma. And I say that because I closed point one by encouraging you all as Christians to love others and to do good to others, no matter the time, place, person, or situation, since love now is for the Christian the fulfilling of the law, Romans chapter 13. However, I then also closed point two by warning you all that a servant is never above his master, and to not be surprised when this dark world begins to hate you, despise you, and even seeks to destroy you when they see the light of Jesus Christ shining brilliantly in and through you, which leaves us as Christians with quite the conundrum here. 
Because by loving and doing good to others within this dark world, we run the risk of being treated just like our master, Jesus Christ. Whereas if we do not love and if we withhold doing good to others, well, then that just proves that we do not know God. Therefore, what exactly are we then as Christians to do here? For that is the question. And these are the words of Jesus Christ, Christian, from his Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, which I think are rather applicable for this particular question. For Jesus Christ, he says, you are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to the whole house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. And thus, as we see here, church, Jesus Christ, he does not give us the option to either live out our faith or to hide our faith, to do good to others or to ignore others, to love others or to withhold our love from others, to be light in a dark world or to put our light under a basket. And that's what I want us, church, to take away from our text today. In Mark chapter 3, as Daniel Aiken writes, is that it is always right to do good. Meaning, church, there is never a bad time to do good to others, nor a bad situation to love others, nor a bad moment to display the light of Jesus Christ to others. Nevertheless, I am sure some of you might be sitting there this morning thinking, whoa, now wait just a second, pastor, because what if me doing good to my neighbor and loving my neighbor and displaying the light of Jesus Christ to my neighbor actually causes then the world to hate me or to desire then to destroy me or my vocation, my career, my reputation, and the like? For how then am I supposed to handle that? And thus, let me share with you this morning, church, what has been a wonderfully freeing chapter for me concerning this very conundrum, that chapter being Psalm 37, which opens in verse 1 with, fret not yourself because of evildoers. Fret not yourself because of evildoers, meaning, church, we do not need to worry about the evildoers of this world or agonize what they might do, say, or think about us because our God, church, He is sovereign over them. He is in control over them, and they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the herb. Freeing us, then, as the children of God, Psalm 37, 3, to trust in the Lord and to do good. 
to trust in the Lord and to do good, not to fret or worry or to be anxious about what this evil world might do to us, but instead to simply trust in the Lord and to faithfully do good no matter the time, person, place, or situation. And thus, let me lovingly encourage you today, Christian, to simply be faithful to the fact that today is always the day, that now is always the time, and that the situation is always always right for you to do good to others, to love others, and to display the light of Jesus Christ to everyone around you. Because your light, Christian, it will shine in the darkness. It will bring glory to your God. And no matter how dark this world around you might get, do not fret for even a second about it. Because the darkness, and hear me loud and clear, Christian, it will never, ever, ever over overcome the light of Jesus Christ. Thus it is my prayer that we as a church body see every situation that presents itself to us as an opportunity to do good to others, to display the light of Jesus Christ and to bring glory to our Father who is in heaven. For so quickly, church, we can be jaded, and not only toward the unredeemed world, but even toward our brothers and sisters in Christ. Therefore, help us then, Father, to not harden our hearts toward anyone or to be controlled by fear, but to instead have a spirit of courage, Lord, and a spirit of boldness and faithfulness and goodness and truth, knowing that it is you, Father, who is sovereign over the darkness, over this world, and even over our enemies. Meaning when you called us as your children to do good to everyone, you meant it, Father. No ifs, no ends, and no buts about it. Therefore, let our good goodness and love and light shine before others in all that we do so that we can be faithful to your word, fulfill the law of Christ, and bring glory, God, to your most holy and wonderful name. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, help us put to death any preferences or traditions, or rules, or laws that we are clinging to and devoting ourselves to that are keeping us from fulfilling the law of Christ. Love does no harm to a neighbor, for love is the fulfilling of the law. Thus, if we see time periods that we think it is not right for us to care for our brother in need, situations, places that we think, I'd rather not. Father, let us be convicted this morning that there is never a bad time, that now is always the right time to love our neighbor as ourself. And in doing so, Father, we pray that you be glorified that the light of Jesus Christ shines in and through us, and that this dark, dark world, no matter how dark it gets, let us realize that it does not have the power to put out the light of Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.